Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops, I'm your host, and I'm excited to uh, be bringing back our uh, featured guest tonight from FFS Media, H. Claire Taylor. Welcome back to the show, Claire. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I guess I didn't realize it was the 100th episode. Congrats. It is. We have reached a uh, momentous milestone here at Book Faces Live. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, three digits. Feel pretty good about it. So, you know, celebrating again this week. Um, silver linings, things things to be excited about during this Isn't otherwise like crisis. After, after 100 episodes, you're like officially a podcast, right? I think so. I'm going to go ahead and give myself that, that gold star, right? You probably were before, <laughs> right? But some people think they're podcasters to prove their motivation yeah i should look up what the standards are because i'm sure i'm below them in every other capacity but (laughs) i uh i think i think this is an endurance game um pretty much like it's just consistency over time and um and but we should talk about i just listened to uh, an episode of this show that you are now co-hosting i know you've co-hosted several podcasts before um (laughs) But you are thing about quitting early. <laughs> no, but this, I mean, the Somewhere Book Show, for people who aren't familiar with Somewhere Book Show, um, news, tips of the week, it's, a, it's been over 300 episodes, and at episode 300 or 301, I guess, you came on as the new guest host. Um, yeah. And I think you're doing a fantastic job as a oh, podcaster, thank you. Just, just for the record. I, it's been one of my weekly listens for a long time just because I love the news and just having a, a spot to, to show up and, and listen and hear what's up in, in the indie publishing space and just publishing in general. But uh, I think you add an ex- excellent level of humor and wit to it that um, also brings out the best in Brian, which I think is, is a lot of fun. So I like giving him a hard time. It is one of one of my joys in life. Yeah, you two play off each other pretty well because I mean obviously you know Brian has the improv background and, and comedy as well and, and the two of you <laughs> know what you're doing on that front and it shows. So uh, yeah so if any of y'all listening haven't checked out the Somewhere Book Show, if you want more Claire in your life and everyone does, uh, ch- head over <laughs> there and check that out. They, they air on uh, Wednesday. It shows shows up on your uh, podcatcher on Wednesdays. So excellent show. Um, I see Michaela's what. Uh, Walker's watching. I see Brian Meeks is watching. Hey, Brian. Um, I see Marilyn watching. Boo's watching. Hey, Boo. Good to see you. Um, so yeah, we're having a. It's going to be a fun episode tonight. Besides, you know, celebrating you know a hundred episodes, we're also you know have a fun topic. We were going to discuss this a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going to have you on and discuss villains and, and villainy. And I uh, massively underestimated uh, the recovery time from my surgery, so I we we had to postpone. But I was. Very thrilled. I've been so looking forward to this episode because bad guys, like, can't, can't so beat fun. them. Yeah, they are absolutely fun. I was, I was, one of the things I was doing today was sort of just making a list of some of my favorite bad guy characters or bad mm-hmm. girl characters, and they're just so interesting. Um, well, some of them are. <laughs> yes, that's true. The ones that are done well, uh, that, that is a good point. They can be made, done very badly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the cartoon character... Uh, evil bad guy is, is right never... stroking the cat yeah exactly it's a parody of itself um but maybe we can talk for people who are watching maybe we can kind of break down some some basics um so I, th- I know one of the the big confusions is um antagonist versus villain um maybe what's your definition of an antagonist versus a villain 
I sort of see it as um, all villains are sort of antagonists, but not all antagonists are villains Hmm. in that sort of relationship. So the antagonist is just the person that is uh, driving some sort of conflict with the protagonist to keep the story moving. So like in romance, that's going to be one of the romantic partners, assuming it's a two two person romance. Um, and a lot of the times the, the antagonist doesn't necessarily look like a villain. Okay. Yeah. It's right? just, no twirly mustache. That's kind of how I imagine. They're creating uh, friction and, like you said, conflict yeah. is the key, mm-hmm. of course, to any good story. Um, so there's a lot of ways to create that conflict without instead of being villainous. Yeah. What would your What would your definition be? Let's see if how they match up. No, I think I think I agree because I think antagonists can change more frequently throughout the story. I think based on people's motivations, certain people will become antagonists to each other. Um, just through conflict of wanting the same thing and may not be the ultimate villain of the book. I was thinking one of the um, the books I was thinking about earlier today um, that I've read like four times was The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And there's a character in the beginning, there's sort of a parallel relationship, and you see this a lot with villain, heroes villains where there's like their alter ego basically, someone who's very much like them mm-hmm. um, but makes different choices. And early on in that book, it's the guy named Peter Keating, and the two of them are parallel. One's kind of like selling out and going corporate route kind of. And then Howard Rourke is like this idealist who is only sticking to his what he believes to be true and you know, starving nobly for it. Um, but Peter Keating falls off like at some point in the story. He's not the ultimate antagonist. The ultimate antagonist ends up being this other guy named Ellsworth Toohey, who is also a fantastic villain uh, for an entirely different reason. Um, but I was thinking about that those characters in that book where... You know, you have completely different styles. Like Ellsworth Toohey in that story is this, um, one of my favorite quotes actually from, from any villain was from Ellsworth. He says something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, but um, ever since the man has been around, he's always known there's a devil, but, but he's always been mistaken about the shape of the devil. The devil is not big and you know, mighty and scary. The, many, the devil is many and smutty and small. And I thought that was fantastic because his way of being evil is to slowly infiltrate things behind the scenes and like be this sort of like virus. Um, and so that by the end of the book, you know, our hero, Howard Rourke, is not up against one big mighty, you know, devil with horns that's you can, hey, bad guy. He's, he's fighting against like this whole mob mentality that has so grown up uh, and, as a result of these lies and things that Ellsworth Tui has spread. And then it's, I mean, obviously there's so many parallels to real life there. Um, But I thought that that was a fantastic, you know, way to to talk about our idea. Because oftentimes we do think evil, the devil is like this sort of like stereotypical evil, like just pure Mm -hmm. bad through and through, Mm -hmm. which is so untrue to life. I happen to agree with you on this totally. <laughs> and actually, one of so I made my list of like my favorite antagonists, and one of them that I was going to put was Satan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get to that for different reasons, but like, yeah. so Jessica Christ series, yeah. uh, one of the antagonists is the devil. Right. Um, and so I kind of I structure it as sort of like an alpha beta antagonist, right? There might be like the so it's kind of like concentric circles mm-hmm. that the the or the protagonist has to get through. Okay. Right. And each time you beat one, you gain something that allows you to take on the bigger one and then the bigger one. So it's kind of like, we're like in Harry Potter, right? Each book has its own individual villain. Right. He learns some skill or, you know. 
Scott Pil no. Pilgrim versus the world. I don't know if yeah, you've ever, exactly. yeah, yeah. It's a video game, basically. Yeah. yeah. You have to get through the, the mini bosses before yeah. you can get to the end. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, I like to structure it. But um, actually, in Jessica Christ, the, uh, the devil is not the ultimate villain. Right. So, Which makes I was, sense. How am I going to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You go out in the desert and fight it before you can go face yeah. the rest of society. Yeah. One of my. Um, I read this biography of uh, Mark Twain when I was young, and he made this interesting comment where he had this. Um, he was talking about his mother and how good she was, and how that she even prayed for the devil. And she basically criticized him for being like, well, here's the most fallen angel lost soul there is like why are you not praying for him like he's the one who most needs your prayers like basically making him feel bad for not praying for the devil and i was just like i i, I love i mean mark twain is amazing i mean he's right. you know his his wit and humor is, is unparalleled i think but um but it's kind of interesting to think of it that way is that and um you know oftentimes what we think about the devil it's he's you know but he's making you make a choice you know he's almost just more of an influencer in in this in literature and like it's you're the one making the decision right. you know what i mean so you exactly. can't just pin everything on him you know it's, it's but a, he's such a good antagonist because yeah. of that, yeah, right absolutely. like you have kind of this like the the whole you know being cast out of heaven automatically you're kind of like oh that sucks right, right? So there's that human need for like mm -hmm. you know sympathy but then you have what is essentially the choice between what humans need God, which is what God gives them, and mm -hmm. what they want, which is what the devil gives them. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole tension of the story right there, yeah. right? Yeah, Choosing want versus need, absolutely. Need. So you have that like structure set in with God and the devil and good and evil and all that. Um, so it's it's pretty ready-made. And it makes yeah. and it's such a, you know, people, people can get on board with the going after what you want thing so much that yeah. now there's, you know, Satanist churches. So it's like if you can write an antagonist that gets a whole church after it you've done yeah. a pretty pretty good antagonist yeah. like you want to dial it back right you may, yeah. may, may may have made them too sympathetic but but i think you touch on like a really good point where um villainy is all about choices and it's about you know what you want versus what you need and what you go after what your desires are um motivation of course is big of course, obviously, the, the classic, I think, way to you know, set up villains is to just make them so similar to the hero, but with making a different... I mean, you know, Voldemort and Harry Potter, obviously, you know, Tom Riddle is mm -hmm. Harry Potter, but, you know, Harry doesn't want to be a Slytherin. Harry doesn't want to be bad. Um, right, but, and it makes him ask that question of, how am I any different? Right. And that's really the question you want your protagonist to be asking at some point in the story. How mm -hmm. am I any different from this guy? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, are you familiar with, um, I'm sure you are, uh, Dan Harmon's um, story circle and the, the idea of the tragic uh, plot embryo? Uh, no, I'm actually that. not familiar with that. Okay. So the Dan Harmon's story circle is fantastic. He, for, for people who are watching who aren't familiar, he's the writer of Community. Um, and he's, he's got this concept, basically. It's basically the hero's journey in a circle. But a lot of it is about um, kind of making choices along the way and then you know the the hero of course at the end of their hero's journey learns from their mistakes they they learn and they get what they need not just what they want and then they return home victorious bearing gifts and changed 
Whereas basically the, that same arc, the hero's journey arc, stops for the villain. They only get about three quarters of the way around the circle because of the fact that they cannot get, they cannot overcome their flaw. The main difference is the hero overcomes their flaw, the villain does not, so that the choice they make leads to their downfall. And I thought that was an interesting, for people who aren't familiar with it, maybe I'll post up a link later, there's a, um, a Scottish girl who does this really good interpretation of Dan Harmon's tragic plot embryo. I'll have to post it up. Um, it's a YouTube video. But I thought that that was really interesting, that, that, the, that the, hero, or the villain is sort of the flawed version um, of the hero who... I mean, the hero's flawed too, of course. But right. the hero overcomes his flaw and the villain doesn't. I thought that was an interesting way to, to look at it. Right, unless you have a tragedy. True. And then neither do. Yeah. I was uh, just watching one of my absolute favorite movies, uh, There Will Be Blood. Mm. I've, never, can... I've never finished it. I have to watch that. I, I, <laughs> I started it and then never finished it. Actually, I think, so I, I'm, I'll put it on my list. If it's, um, one your, it's one of your favorite movies, I'm putting it on there. Oh, it's, it's shot like some sort of religious horror film. Like, okay. it's scored like that. The cinematography is like that. But it's just this great anti-hero um, you know, antagonist duo that it's so cathartic because you just want to see them destroy each other. Yeah, yeah. But it's so good in that it's these moments of power shifting. It's all about power. So you have the the oil man and then you have the like, you know, super pious but also super hypocritical, um, you know, preacher. And it's just them squaring off over, you know, decades. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> love so- it. Good. It's so good. It's such a good example of an antagonist um, that because you know when you're dealing with an antihero, it's hard to build the antagonist. Mm. You don't want them to be too likable, right? Right. Uh, and, but you also don't. You can't. You know. You can't make them good, but you don't want to try and out bad or whatever the uh, antihero. So it just does such a good job of balancing those. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that you bring up the power struggle because it is. Um, always a power issue and they talk about how your hero is only as good as your villain like you have to have a strong villain in order to have a strong hero and um, having those sort of parallels of course that we're talking about and having the the chemistry be really good um, that was a lot of the villains that I chose when I was making my list of my favorite villains had to do with chemistry Um, Mm -hmm. but maybe we can go over what were some do you want to go over what your favorite villains are and I'll go over what my favorite villains are and we can kind of compare and contrast Um, well I had like I think three maybe four so um, the devil was on my list because I think that's a great um, you know the devil not in like the he's red and runs around and just you know right is three but like like Lucifer Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, I would say like anti-hero and antagonist would be Daniel and Eli from There Will Be Blood okay and then I also really like Cersei. She, was she, she made my list too. Oh yeah? Let's yeah. talk about her. <laughs> yeah, Cersei is great. So yeah, I have Cersei on there. As far as like, I just went with like ones that people would probably all have heard of. Right. Um, but Cersei for sure, just because you just love to hate her. Like she's just so wicked, but you also later on it begin to empathize with her. Like, um, George R. R. Martin does a great job of, of not believing in villains, he says. So he talks about, he always shows everyone every side of this person and but yeah i i absolutely hated her we should talk about how bad the ending was but um (laughs) my other ones that were 
I, I looked at my list of villains. I realized they were all different for different reasons. Or I, I like them for different reasons. Cersei I liked because I loved to hate her. Um, I put Darth Vader on there just because he was so iconic, evil, but cool. Like, you kind mm-hmm. of like Vader. Like, he's just a badass. Like, he's not... Even though he's the bad guy, like, everyone kind of loves Darth Vader for being just so straight, powerful, and evil. And he, I think he was just... I think he's just iconic. Right. Classic. Classic evil. Um, Moriarty from Sherlock made the list because mm-hmm. I don't know if you've... If anyone's seen the Sherlock with um, Benedict Cumberbatch, Moriarty steals the show there. And... He um, does. Just because he's so wild and crazy, but f- like a fun evil, and um, but also brilliant, so it's it, that's really fun. And I kind of mm-hmm. put in the same category there. I kind of put in the same category as Joker from The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger's Joker. I thought was an amazing. Um, it's questionable whether he's even a villain in that, more than just sort of like a catalyst. Um, mm-hmm. He is a he is well, a classic villain, but the hospital, right. He did. There weren't any people in it, though. But he did. Yeah, he did blow up. He, <laughs> okay. He's evil. But he, he, yeah, he's chaotic evil. Yes. Um, as opposed to like a planned evil, whereas later on, you know, Two-Face kind of goes bad on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. So they kind of compare. The two of those villains are a little bit different. But Joker from The Dark Knight, Keith Ledger made, did such an amazing job in that role um, that Batman sort of just fades into the background of that movie every time uh, Heath Ledger's on screen because he did such a good job. Um, and then the other, one of the other relationships I, I super loved was, um, the TV show Justified, uh, Raylan Givens and Boyd Crowder are characters, um, which is based on Elmore Leonard novel, uh, originally it was Fire the Hole and Elmore Leonard writes good characters and the character, um, of Boyd Crowder dies off in like the first, supposed to die in like the first episode, but I think because in the pilot episode, their chemistry was so good as actors, the two of them that they decided, no, we can't kill him off. This was just too fun. And Boyd goes on to become this, you know, long-lasting villain throughout the series slash anti-hero. And the chemistry and the dialogue between the two of them, um, the backstory is that the two characters worked the minds together when they were teenagers and maybe even saved each other's lives, that sort of thing. Um, so when one goes bad, one's a marshal, Braylon Givens, who's the straight-laced, cool... Um, Cowboy Marshall type, and then there's um, Boyd Crowder is is just you know into everything bad, but but kind of for good reasons. So like you, it's just, the relationship there is just so amazing that that's what propelled the whole series for you know six six uh, seasons. Um, so yeah, those were those were my those were my top. Yeah, it's interesting. You're going through and um, like there are certain redeeming qualities for villains. Mm-hmm that we wouldn't necessarily allow for their, our heroes. Like they wouldn't be enough, but for the villains, it's like uh, if they're intelligent, like yeah. Moriarty, yeah. Uh, if they are, you know, um, interesting to watch, yeah. you know, or yeah. unpredictable. Like the Joker. Right, exactly. Um, who did you mention before that? I was just thinking. Um, Cersei? Right. Cersei is, she's kind of like a survivor. She's savvy, yeah. you know? So there's these things that, that we just like about them, these redeeming qualities. Maybe they're, um, they're capable, right? Darth Vader yeah. is very capable. Power, we're, we're hmm. super attracted to power. Yeah. Um, so we'll like, uh, we'll 
be down with a villain if they're especially powerful. So yeah. it's kind of like these dark parts of us that are, are sort of devoid of emotions mm-hmm. that we like to see in yeah. our you know antagonists that we would need more from our protagonists. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I was so frustrated with the ending of Game of Thrones was the ending for Cersei in particular because she is such a clever person who always has something up her sleeve. Always. And they had it set up so perfectly. Her brothers coming into the into the city, trying to warn her, giving her a way to, to um, signal that she's surrendering. I was 100% certain that she was going to fake surrender and then actually kill a whole bunch of the good guys um, because she wasn't really surrendering. And then the writers just made her actually surrender. Like, she didn't even meet the, the, the hero. She never met... Um, Daenerys face to face she never got melted by a dragon there was so many things wrong with Cersei's ending she got a happy ending basically with her brother getting you know spoilers yeah, we, for don't need, we don't need that we don't it was happy and unsatisfying which is yes. the worst kind of ending yeah uh, you know it's it wasn't like, satisfying, satisfying for them I don't think I mean they they've had unsatisfying relationship you know I mean it, right yeah I mean it, it, they they both were headed towards tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't meet, we weren't expecting as viewers for them to get a happy ending. Right. I mean, pretty much as soon as Jamie left Brienne, I was like, screw him. He's dead right. to me. He's one of my favorite characters, but he's dead to me now. But it's understandable. You know, His choice is understandable. Like, and you're okay. You're kind of okay with that. that. Yeah. He, he mm-hmm. was, he was a downward spiral, tragic character. He had this tragic flaw, which was his love for his sister. Um, so like him dying, is perfectly acceptable ending. Yeah. But that's but I was so frustrated that Cersei dying impotently when she was the least impotent character. Like she always had something to do. And like uh, it just drove it drove me crazy. It, right. And her thing her her main redeeming quality besides being intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. She was surrounded by so many like uh just idiots in King's Landing that you ended up just rooting for her cuz she was smarter, yeah. but yeah. it was her love for her family. Mhm. And she's all alone, and she doesn't know Jamie is there. Why would she do? Like, why would she do anything other than just see how many people she can kill? Right. Yeah, that would have been much more satisfying. It just yeah yeah yeah. Right. There was no showdown between her and Danny. There was no face to face. Yeah, and after seasons upon seasons of wanting to see that that face off, and it just you know for her to just get hit with some bricks. I mean, come on, like. And they would have been such. It would have been such a good uh, conversation, given like you know, amazing. Danny has this found family, and all her family has been killed. You know, besides yeah. like the, the people that she's built, but she's also like her family yeah. is all her servants. And then you have Cersei, who has a complicated relationship with her family, and yeah. like has nothing. It's just, it would have been so amazing to see those two women mm-hmm. who have like fought their way into power mm-hmm. actually have some sort of standoff. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Was- I mean, we finally had, you know, it was great that Cersei got to sit on the throne. I mean, it was great that, you know, she was the woman on the throne for such a long time, but it would have been so much more satisfying to see her taken down in person. Um, and yeah, they, the yeah, writers Rock's definitely biffed it there. What's that? Yeah. The rocks. Yeah. The rocks crushing her. was. It was just like, this can't be it. Like they have matter. to. It doesn't, it doesn't relate. It doesn't. I mean, she's not especially tied to King. If, it, if even if there was some irony to it or something where she died at her own I mean, hand. I kind of like, she's fall. You know, King's Landing has crushed her. I mean, if you're really going to reach for a metaphor. Maybe. 
still weak. Yeah, it's weak. Really, I was really trying. Weak. I was trying to give them the benefit of the, the yeah. doubt on that one. But yeah. yeah, it it just com- I just can't imagine like how do you write this show and not have already or you know, write the books and not already have your idea of how she dies in mind. Yeah, just a fundamental understanding of the character and yeah. how they have to end. Like, what's her flaw? Like, she should die because of her flaw. And her flaw was not loving Jamie. Jamie's flaw was loving her. That makes sense. Yeah. Him going back and dying in King's Landing because he returned when he shouldn't have, that makes, that's fine. It works with his character, 100%. Mm-hmm. She didn't go chase him. I mean, that doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense for her. And she was the more powerful character. So, I, yeah, I think, yeah. I don't want to spend the whole night talking about Game of Thrones for people who haven't seen it. Um, plus, we're just ruining the ending for you right now. <laughs> Actually, no, the writers ruined it. So we didn't ruin it for you. Yeah, so yeah, don't worry about it. Um, but, yeah. So I, I think that that kind of reflects back on the idea that there's something more to the ending of our villains than just having them off the page. Um, mm-hmm. That was another one of my big frustrations with the latest... Uh, Star Wars movie, but they just got rid of Kylo Ren. They just were like, pff, pff, pff. we don't we don't know what to do with him anymore. See ya. Like for no we'll reason him, whatsoever. We'll have him kiss. We'll have him kiss. How about yeah. that? We'll have this redeeming and okay. Now he's not a villain. Now he is an antihero. But now he's dead. And <laughs> then Finn can just kind of get lost. We'll never follow up with that no, romantic thread. No, yeah, no, none of it. And uh, we're going to do some bro hugs all around. You know, she's going to hug a couple different guys after having kissed a different guy. And we're all just going to wonder. And uh, right. she's going to have a ghost romance because that's how it works, yeah. I guess. Let, I the, let the slash fic begin, really. Mm. But yeah, again, total fall on the face moment for the writers. And because it would have been so much more interesting for Kylo Ren to have to go back to the, to the resistance and be like, hey, guys, I'm here on your side now. <laughs> and then have everyone have to deal with that. You know what I mean? Like, yep, I kind of saved y'all. And, like, that uh-huh. would just be fascinating. Like, how will they go on living with this person who has this, you know, massive backstory of being awful, uh, but has now redeemed right. himself? And what do we, how do we live with people who have redeemed themselves? And I think it's a question about society. You know what I mean? Like, do we really mm-hmm. forgive people when, you know, when they're, they've come out of prison or whatever it is? You can make them, like, a lot of questions out of that. Um, but mm-hmm. it's way more interesting than just right. deleting the character. For... Well, and it didn't really, it didn't really uh, teach what's her name. <laughs> Sorry, I'm blinking on her yeah, name. I know, right? Uh, Ray. It didn't. Yeah, she's it didn't kind really of forgettable. Do... This is the, probably the problem with the story, but because again, she doesn't have a good arc because her villains yeah, don't have great arcs. She didn't really arcs. learn anything. She, she, she was just, anything. she was kind of like a tour guide on a nostalgia tour. Yeah, she was already cool from the beginning. She didn't have anything mm-hmm. to learn from Luke. She didn't have anything to learn from anybody really. She just sort of figured it all out her own. And um, never really had anything wrong with her to begin with. So I don't know that she's especially any better off at the end. So yeah. kind of a... No, yeah. it was weak. And that's too bad because cool I think that they could have yeah, they could have yeah. done something really nice. Well, and I think part of it is like your your ultimate demise of your antagonist, assuming you're going for like some sort of happy ending. Mm-hmm. It needs to be at the hands of your protagonist yeah. and something that your protagonist could not have done until that very moment. Yeah. I mean, they have to have learned, right? So if it's like, oh, you kill him with a skill you had at the beginning, it's like, well, why didn't you, you know? Right. Like, why didn't you do it at the beginning? Yeah. Right. Why did Hamlet keep talking to himself for the whole play? <laughs> it right. kind of turns into that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's sort of the important part of it. Yeah, I think that's a very, very important point to, to reiterate, that the hero couldn't finish the story at the beginning of it because they haven't learned their lesson. 
And it's mm -hmm. only through learning their lesson, especially the lesson that the villain couldn't have ever learned, that they're able mm -hmm. to overcome the villain. And I think that's that's such an important aspect of the story. There was a book that I that I read and back when I reviewed other authors' books and I remember just two storing this thing because I was just so upset with the fact that the villain of the story got killed by a side character that we didn't even know. That well, like just randomly got sort of taken out. And um it just was so unsatisfying for so many reasons. Yeah, could it happen? In real life would it happen? Sure. You know, random side character gets the weapon and offs the bad guy? Sure. Right. Real life. We're not here for reality. Yeah, I know. We didn't pick up this book so to be unsatisfied by our hero. You know, like not yeah. doing anything and, and standing by idly while someone else cleans up their problems for them. We didn't need to go on that journey. That is, yeah, that is such a huge issue that it's like it will ruin your entire book and I see it ruin people's entire books so frequently is that what the whatever the hero does to defeat the villain is not really on purpose mm. yeah or the hero is not taking action they're passively doing it yeah right and it's it's like no they need to really be going for it and it's intentional and they go, you know, immediately beforehand they go, Oh wait, I've learned this thing. You know, I have yeah. this elixir or whatever. And then they go and take care of it. But, yeah. um, and I wanted when you don't have a, a, an active protagonist, yeah, it just falls flat. And I want to give a shout out to your, your story alignment service too, just real quick, just because I am a personal user of your story alignment service. I have had two story alignments already at this point, and I will probably make it a part of my ongoing process. Um, okay. But for, for people who are, you know, wondering why Claire is awesome at this stuff, it's because she has been an editor and also has a service where she basically hashes out the problems in your book with you um, during story alignment calls. So... If you, are, you too are also struggling with your, your villain, uh, as I am, always, um, Claire's a good person to talk to, and uh, you should check out ffsmedia.com. Is it .com? It's ffs.media. .media. There you go. Fancy. Yeah. Uh, ffs.media. Well, a Russian had ffsmedia.com, and he Who was holding it? a package. Some Russian guy, uh, some Russian guy, yeah, so trying to you want to pay $200 for it. Yeah crazy he's your he's a villain now he's he's your he antagonist <laughs> like well we're not going to give him a personality but we'll make him other yeah we'll make him russian you know because we'll that's yeah. we should talk about that too we should talk about some ways to like uh not stereotypical ways to not make your villain mm -hmm. um i know like mental illness pops to mind just having a crazy person Kind of is sort of a, a cheating way out, really, and yeah, probably psychopaths. I don't love psychopaths. Yeah, probably a disservice to people with actual mental illness too. And oh yeah, that's kind of one of those things you got to be really careful about. More so nowadays, um, we should have been careful about it all along. But um, what are some other things that you see commonly that people kind of slap? Well, on? so the psychopath. I don't like the psychopath unless you're yeah. doing serial killer. Right. Um, then it has to be a psychopath and their redeeming quality is that they've got to be smart mm. um, and they've got to outsmart. So you have the cat and mouse sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, most Bond villains are kind of not great. They're getting a little bit better, but they're kind of one dimensional. But I think a lot of that is that James Bond is pretty one dimensional. Right. He's a static character. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you can't get too much. They're not trying to get too deep into the philosophical conflict and Bond, yeah, you know, books genre. and movies. 
Yeah. Um, but I would say um, using stuff like, oh, we're just going to make him a foreigner or, oh, we're going to make him a terrorist. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we're going to those kinds of things. Uh, it can work, but it's boring and um, usually just kind of bigoted. And you, you're going to narrow your audience significantly to people who have the same biases as you. Whereas if you do a really good three-dimensional villain or antagonist, mm-hmm. you anyone can understand their mind and go, oh, that's kind of freaky. Like, I can kind of see where they're coming from. Yeah, I think that's good. It actually reminds me of the villain um, Hans Gruber in... Um, <laughs> Die Hard, because uh-huh. he acknowledges it in the film, the bias against terrorists, where he's like, well, if you if everyone believes that you're a terrorist, they don't suspect you of just being a thief. Like, his, his whole ploy is that he's pretending to be a ther- terrorist and want these things that a terrorist would want. And really, he's just there for the money. So, like, he, he's, he's playing on that natural bias that society has against terrorists and using it to his own benefit, which I thought was a clever twist. Yeah, um, that's good. I think yeah. that's because then you've you've just created an interesting commentary. Yeah, right. and he also does another interesting commentary in the in the middle of the film where he uh, he's British. No, he's German. He's German. German. Yeah, he's he's a British actor playing a German. That's yeah, what he's a British actor playing a German, but he also turns around and does an American accent in the middle of the film to fool Bruce Willis into making him believe that he's just one of the civilians who's a hostage. And it's such a brilliant move. Again, he's playing on Bruce Willis's character's prejudice, saying, oh, the American couldn't be the bad guy. I've heard Hans Gruber on the radio. He's this German guy. I mm-hmm. and doesn't expect that he will have this American accent. Oh, this, this clearly can't be the bad guy. And I think that, again, there's, there's this fun playing. The writers, in this case, did a great job of acknowledging the prejudice we have against foreigners as our villains. In this case, both the terrorist thing and the, the, the accent thing, Germans especially, and then, you know, turn around and, and play with it. And I think that's a really clever way, like, if you're going to do something like that, at least acknowledge it and say, you know, hey, we're going to, we're going to, sh- you know, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. kind of, you're laughing along with, with the issue at that point, maybe. Right. Right. And it's, it's kind of a flaw on the part of the protagonist, but it's also one that we can recognize in ourselves because we all have these biases. Right. Right. And so it's not, it's not necessarily condemning them, but it's saying like, look, you could be made a fool of like, here's your reason why you need to change it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. And it's one of those things like, obviously, as we develop as writers, we, our villains probably develop. Um, I know that's definitely my case. I've, my villains have improved. I think they have a long way to go because I'm, um, actually, Janelle just commented. She says, "Nathan, if you struggle with the villains because you write good, good guys and friendships, like it's hard sometimes being bad in your mind. Like I'm a nice person. I know that I am. Like I, yeah, you're I like I like people. Um, I kind of give everyone the benefit of the doubt and assume mm-hmm. that everyone is great <laughs> until you know proven otherwise. And that's a hard place to be as a writer sometimes when I'm trying to like write bad guys. And yeah. um, because for me, getting in the headspace of a villain." is not the easiest thing to do. Um, do you have, any, have you run into this with, with other writers? And, and Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice people and very empathetic people can have a hard time with that mm. and can have a hard time uh, with the dark moment, too. Mm. Putting yeah. their protagonist in a dark enough moment. Because, you know, it's like, it's like if you imagine that it's sort of spring-loaded, right? You're pushing your, your protagonist into that dark moment. 
Um, the farther you push them down, the more they're going to spring up. So you really want to push them into that dark moment. Yeah. But some people are like, "Mm." (laughs) you know, do a little of that. And then it's like, you know, so it's not that, that can be hard for certain personality types. I don't personally find, I find it very easy to slip into an evil perspective, which think of me as you will. But I, cause it's just, it's like taking that central theme that you're writing on and just distorting it and Mm. it's just sort of you're just bastardizing the good point of view on it Uh, you're twisting those words you're just you know so you want to take whatever your protagonist thinks and just uh just destroy it like philosophically and then you have the antagonist yeah i think that's fun and it that is a good time too. like when you take something that is inherently good but do it for the wrong reasons or if you do something you know, wrong for the right reasons, of course, then you get into like kind of anti-hero territory as well, like where they're kind of like on that line of mm-hmm. where maybe they're a bad person, but they're doing something good or they're, you know, good person. Do, they're, they, they walk that line really finely. Um, yeah. Whereas the villain has definitely twisted something good into something evil, which mm-hmm. is a lot of fun. Because I, and that's, yeah. that's what, it's a, I think it's fun to look at the spectrum of being like, here's a good idea. Let's take it too far. And then, <laughs> you know, let's see what happens then. Which, of course, is the whole premise for, um, like, Black Mirror, for example. Like, is mm-hmm. a great TV show because it takes a concept and is like, we're going to push it. We're going to push it farther and we're going to push it until you're really uncomfortable with it. <laughs> and then you understand that, like, yeah. this is something that's good about you that, you're, mm-hmm. that could be something really bad. And I think that that's right. just pushing it farther along the spectrum until it gets into that dark territory, and it's just it's just fascinating. It, yeah, it is. It is something you have to practice, though. Yeah. Because a lot of times you're like, no, nope, uh, that's that's really uncomfortable. I'm yeah. gonna go think about something else. Yeah, that show gets dark. I know there's a lot of a lot of shows <laughs> out there that get pretty dark, um, but because it makes you think, it makes you think about like what, where would my line be? And I think mm-hmm. that's an important part of, of, of the writing process as the writer to be like, well, where is my line of what's good versus what's evil? Because, you know, if someone's stealing is technically bad, but if someone's stealing, you know, a loaf of bread to feed their child, mm-hmm. you know, they're good. Um, you know, we have a lot of heroes that start off bad. And of course, you know, you have the Jack Sparrow characters, things like that, who are bad guys, anti-heroes that are but good in the inside. Like, the first thing we ever see Jack Sparrow do is dive into the water and save a girl. So we mm-hmm. know he has this save the cat moment. We know inherently that he's a good person, even though he's a pirate. Um, I think that's... I think if you can yeah. find that... If you can't find that line, you're onto something. Hmm. Because I think if you okay. don't know... How do you, how do you mean? Well, I mean, if, if you're like, well, where is the line? And that it's something that you're really thinking about. It's a, a topic that's really sort of weighing on you. What What is good and evil in this you know, scenario? What is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? Then I think you, you can just throw your characters at it. Yeah. And you have something really interesting because you're going to have your protagonist cross the line just a little bit, put a toe across it by accident. Yeah. And then you're going to have your antagonist, you know, maybe do something that's redemptive or Mm -hmm. maybe make a really good argument, you know, in favor of like this is good rather than bad. You know, so I think you don't need to know as an author exactly. You just need to throw them in there and have them uh, sort of have that conversation 
And it's kind of like, you know, with pornography, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> like, gotcha. You know, like, if you'll know, like, oh, maybe my protagonist shouldn't have done that. Maybe that was too far. But you don't necessarily have to know exactly where the line is. Yeah. Did you happen to watch uh, Incredibles 2? No. Okay. Have you seen the first Incredibles? P no. Pixar is amazing. Um, yes. I will agree with that. <laughs> you should watch Incredibles, but you should also watch Incredibles 2. Because it has one of the most sympathetic villains, like where you're like, I agree with this villain on like everything they're saying, and they're still and they're still the bad guy, which is like they have incredibly valid points. The, like, at the end of the film, you're like, but were they the bad guy? Like, should we all be believing what this villain actually is actually trying to get across? Like, it, it would, they were so good at that um, mm -hmm. in that film that it was one of the most most thought provoking ones for me, just because. The and I can't remember the specifics. I've only seen it once or twice, I think, and it's been a while, so I'm not gonna, you know, ad lib about it. But I do remember that specific takeaway from it, where I was like, uh, I empathize with the villain. I totally agree <laughs> with this villain most of the way. There's somewhere there's where they crossed the line, but it was barely. Like the villain barely crossed the line, and otherwise they would have just been right. And I yeah. thought that that was really. An interesting, you know, take, you know, especially for a Pixar. Pixar's amazing. I, I would love to meet some of the writers on their team because they just do incredible things. Uh, last hmm. last week, Cecilia and I were geeking out about Disney writing, Disney films because of how good some of the writing is. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, so, antagonists then. So, let's huh? dial it back from villains and antagonists a little bit. And we, I'm sorry, what did I just say? said so antagonists. I'm sorry. Let's let's dial it back to antiheroes. Mm-hmm. Because they're a step down. They're right on that line of good versus evil. And mm -hmm. let's maybe just... Do you have some favorite antiheroes? Um, I do, but I really want to talk about Tiger King. Can we talk about Tiger <laughs> King? <laughs> yes. Before we get out of straight-up villainy, let's, let's, we should touch on Tiger King uh, before we exit, exit the villainy part. We have part a heck of an anti-hero in there that is it's arguably the bad guy, but he is the protagonist. Yes. I, yeah. That, that is a... I know you've been wanting to talk about Tiger King because... It's all I can think about. Yeah. It's all, it, I, it's all I wake up for in the morning now. It's such an incredible dumpster fire. Of a, of a life that you're watching and you're like you watch the first couple episodes and you're like well you can't really get too much worse than this right and then all of a sudden it just spirals down and down and you're like you're like did that tiger just eat her arm <laughs> yeah and you're like and the How? first thing that he does is put on his ems jacket yeah, I know. it's like did that guy just really tell his pregnant wife that she's gonna have to get back to the gym Right after this, like, is that really what just came out of his mouth while he's going to look at hot nannies? Like, on yeah, his, like, but it's the train wreck we needed, Nathan. Oh, it's the oh my train gosh. wreck America needed. Because, and I really think that it's it it's so distracting. We needed such a distract a distraction at the start of this like stay at home pandemic moment. Yeah, but it's also we've been trying to figure out chaos for a while. Yeah. Do you think there's some merit to like we just want to find a villain who's so clearly worse than us that it makes us feel better about our own lives? Yes, I think that that one of the redeeming qualities in this antihero of Joe Exotic is that he gives us a feeling of uh, superiority. Uh, I could see that. 
But at the same time, this is what blew my mind. And this is why I find it so fascinating. You get on the internet and people love him. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, he's a, he's he a complete charisma. sociopath. He has charisma. Yeah, right. So he's that charismatic sociopath. Yeah. And like watching the, watching the documentary, of course the documentary is pieced together to make a riveting story. But right. watching it, you're like, well, maybe he did at some point really love these tigers. Right. You're looking but, for those little th- reasons to like him just because you inherently kind of are rooting for him as the protagonist, even though he's an awful person. Yeah, I mean, he's done terrible things and he uses people like you watch along the way. At some point, you you probably have to draw your own line of where you're going to jettison this person and be like, yeah, <laughs> he deserves it. But I think where that line is, is interesting. Uh-huh. As like, Which episode do you hit before you're like, yeah, he has it coming. You know? Right, and you also kind of realize like you, you have sympathy for him because he's clearly not that intelligent. Mm. So there's he's, that. He's just a ridiculous human being, like in, in a, on a certain level, like running for president, you know, not understanding even what your party stands for and running for it. Like I, that was one of my favorite. Like the fact that you, he got yeah, his campaign manager from Walmart, the MO section at Walmart, and that guy was like, yeah, he doesn't even know what a libertarian is. So like he still doesn't. Like that that when he he was one of the funniest characters I think in that show because he was the most normal. He a, was a straight man. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of can view life through his eyes, and it was amazing. But it's also interesting to see, like, how do you create an antagonist for an antihero? Hmm. Interesting. That's, that's the question, and I think in this documentary, episode three was all about that, because it was all about, was. like, did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Which right. I was kind of like, yes, but <laughs> I think he deserved it. <laughs> yeah, it, yes, I know. And then you empathize with her, like, even if she, like... And you get the backstory of her life and like, wow, okay, you know, her parents were horrible. You know, she survived a traumatic, you know, sexual exploitation situation and had a terrible upbringing. And like you empathize with her so completely on that where it's like, thank God she got out of that situation she was in. But then it's like, did she go too far? Did she, mm-hmm. is she now terrible? Like what's... And she's clearly not someone I would want to spend time with or have a conversation with. Like she's weird. But well, also, when you see the when you see the wedding photo of her and her new husband wearing a cat collar on all fours, like wearing a leash, like his any respect for that man that you have, it just goes straight out the window. You're like, oh, that's who you are, yeah. that guy, and like She's the rest crazy. is the facade. The rest of the facade. But it, it's also interesting because then we're bringing in gender bias to this whole thing. The gender bias um, in this. Uh, documentary is fascinating to, to me because we give so many more allowances to Joe Exotic than we do to Carol Baskin. True. Yep. It's yeah. just, it, she's basically good, but has a couple weird, like she's, you know, and it, it doesn't present her sanctuary very well, but if you look into it, it's just not that bad. Like they're in the cages when no. they're eating food so that they're safe, right? But no, she's not uh, really that bad of a character. In this. Even, I, I think she comes off actually okay. I mean, maybe I'm just more empathetic. Like, I was like, where right. I kind of like saw her as a, a person I wouldn't dislike. I think it comes down to, I, I really do, do think that it comes down to the bias of the, the viewer. Right. Because people who don't like women challenging male power really mm. don't like her. Gotcha. Uh, and she's kind of like good and has a few splotches and he's a complete, you know, chaos circus mm-hmm. and has a couple moments of self-awareness. Like when he's talking about like, maybe I did a bad thing. Cause those, you know, those, uh, 
gorillas or whatever, like saw yeah. each other and each other. You know, he has like he a couple of them for 10 years of being together, yeah. but he's presented in a more sympathetic light than she is. Yeah, absolutely. It's the right. So, right. And so it's, it's interesting, like the presentation of gender in the anti-hero and the antagonist and how that um, is used mm-hmm. to sort of position them. Yeah, and even in how much airtime some of the victims get, um, like his husband's mother, who has to listen to the garbage that spills out of his mouth at the funeral. Like that... Oh my God, that it, funeral. It was just tragic on so many levels, and you felt so badly for her um, that... I don't, anyway, well, I, again, I don't want to go down a whole spiral. For people who haven't seen the show... Um, yeah, I don't want to so, completely lose everyone. It. It, it's fascinating. I watched it, or maybe I'm just spending too much time on the internet. But I think <laughs> maybe everyone's watched it. Maybe I think it, ha- it was that. I mean, it was number one on Netflix for quite a while during this mm-hmm. whole, um, you know, COVID quarantine. Yeah. So there's... I guess if you have kids running around, it's you can't watch yeah, it. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. definitely a after hours kind of watch. <laughs> Put your earbuds in, you know, for but, a but also that. not right before bed. It's not something you want to watch right no, before you go. No, I agree. Yeah, it, it might mess you up a little bit in that, that department, too. Um, but, yeah, so he is, I mean, so you would classify him as an anti-hero, even though he's mostly he's bad? He's an extreme anti-hero. Okay. Um, and his only redeeming quality is, is that he's entertaining. Yeah, yeah, charismatic, entertaining, might like a few of the tigers. Yeah, I mean, may have been good to a couple. Eh, I don't know. They all kind of suffered. I've seen some interviews afterwards where they're like, "No, he just would shoot tigers." Yeah, I think that I think the animals were the biggest loser in that whole that whole series. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk about some other um, anti heroes, maybe that are a little more likable. Because again, here's a spectrum of people mm-hmm. who are either maybe just a little bit good or are mostly good, just a little bit bad. Um, so we kind of hit a different range. Um, I know some of the 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 anti-heroes that I thought of right out of the gate were um, Lizbeth Salander from Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, I think is pro- uh, kind of a very classic anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Maybe not classic, but she's just she's just prickly. Like, she literally wears clothes and spikes that, like, just say, stay away from me. I'm not nice. Don't touch me. Mm-hmm. You know, for good reason. Uh, you find right. out as you read the books that um, she has a lot of reason to keep people at a distance. And... Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating. Again, she's one of those people who you you don't want to be her. You wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with her or like her um, around. But she's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was one that sticks out sticks out to me. On the more likable spectrum, then you've got your your Han Solo, uh, which I think is part of a fun classic anti-hero. Um, but there were, he had a couple of really shining moments. I think one in particular was in Empire Strikes Back when Princess Leia um, is watching him get put into carbonite and she says, I love you. And he says, I know. Like that, that moment was so perfect. I, I think it was an ad lib, uh, if I understand correctly. It was originally written that he would say, I love you back. But Harrison Ford just says, I know. And it, they, they left it in, the film. And it was so true to his character. Um, he is a mercenary. He's just doing it for the money. He eventually does the right thing, but it takes him a long time to do the right thing. It takes him till the very mm-hmm. end of Star Wars, the first film, before he finally like turns the Millennium Falcon around and goes back and joins the fight. Like it's the very end of the film. 
Um, but I thought that particular moment, the I love you, I know moment, was probably the defining moment of Han Solo's, you know, life as an anti-hero. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's a good moment. Yeah. Then the other one that popped up to, that, that I thought of um, later was um, Logan uh, of Wolverine, who is mm. very much a violent, animalistic person, but who has a, inherently is, he's very close to being a bad guy. Kills a lot of people. Um, right. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident, but just is a beast of a human being, literally. Um, has a tragic backstory, could very easily become a villain, but mm-hmm. is still on the, the light side of the shadow. Well, um, and in that vein, you also have Deadpool. Yeah, who's hilarious. Who's likable because he's That's, just yeah, he's hilarious. Funny. Yeah, very similar. He can do but, yeah. whatever he wants because he's funny. Right. We, we will like him forever. Uh, which mm-hmm. is amazing that they, they got those films made and they're just so irreverent and fun um, despite being terrible, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, role models, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's not even, you know, like the fact that he gets, you know, burned and doesn't even, he's not even a good looking person. Like he's like, he's not, he's right. so far from your typical hero, um, but a very fun, a very fun anti-hero. Well, he's, yeah, it's like uh, he's sort of the heretic type, yeah. right? He is, he's the iconoclast of superheroes, yeah. and we kind of like that. It's refreshing. Yeah, and um, he's also but, refreshing because he knows he's, a, he's in a movie. So, like, he right. makes fun of his own genre and the fact he makes fun of himself as an actor of Ryan Reynolds. Like, it, it's so, <laughs> there's so many le- layers to the humor there. Right. They're disrespecting the genre. They're just they're disrespecting everything about it, like on purpose, which is mm-hmm. just like the just the opening credits to Deadpool are hilarious. Right. Um, People yeah. need some permission sometimes to laugh at the sacred cows, right? Yeah. Like. You know, it's like even superhero people, like fans of all these superhero movies and superhero universes, can be like, they can laugh at what is what they hold dear, and that is that gives like a huge. It's empowerment, really. Mm-hmm. It yeah. makes you less um, vulnerable to people's criticisms if you can laugh at yourself. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what those movies like give people. Yeah. And why it made so much money that's- and Deadpool too. That parachute scene, I. <laughs> I think I died and came back to life. The fact like. that they got Brad Pitt to cameo um, <laughs> just for that one brief moment <laughs> was just, I mean, you know, probably one of the most famous actors of all time, or of the modern era at least, shows up for like two seconds in that film. Which, that in itself just yes. disrespects everything about Hollywood, which I think is amazing. Right. Um, Can I? I mean, are there any other, like, really funny anti-heroes? I'm sure there or, are that, that I like, can't think, think of. I mean, it's really just Ryan Reynolds. I would almost say, like, Van Wilder, if you remember <laughs> that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, that was actually another, great. Another hilarious anti-hero. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite quotes from that movie. Worrying is rocket, like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Like, that was one of his bits of advice to his, his protege. And yeah. I, I still think about that all the time. Whenever, like, <laughs> I'm not a worrier, and uh, uh-huh. that fits with my philosophy, but it came from that film. Wow. Random That's tangent. That's not the thing that sticks out to me from that <laughs> film. <laughs> the stage advice. <laughs> See, I believe the best in everyone. Like, I, I take the best when everyone offers. Uh, but, yeah. No, I think Ryan Reynolds is a hilarious human being, too. 
Just so like right. it fits that he's been able to play these two characters so well because it's so true to life for him. Mm-hmm. Like his ongoing feud with Hugh Jackman, like fake feud with Hugh Jackman, is is so entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, Hugh is one of these supposedly one of the nicest people on earth. You know, he sings, he dances, he's kind. He's been married to his wife forever. Like he's there's no reason to not like Hugh Jackman. And <laughs> the fact that Ryan Reynolds can can have a feud with him, you know, is is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, just kind of a stretch. But um, as far as anti-heroes go, I would say like the persona of Anthony Jeselnik. Are you familiar with that comedian? No, I'm not. He, he's a stand-up comedian and he goes dark. And his whole thing is like, I'm a miserable human being. Mm. Self-deprecating? And very self-deprecating. And he does the, the dead baby jokes. And he has a whole thing on murder-suicide. Like he just... He goes really dark, and he's okay. like, you're going to hate me for this. Yeah. And that sort of an anti-hero makes, like, he makes himself super likable by being funny. Okay. And being that iconoclast. Um, which, I, I mean, I, I love his stuff, and people are like, oh, he's so terrible. I'm like, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Pushes all the boundaries. Yeah, and yeah. I, think, I think that's one of the things that in fiction, as writers, we can say, okay, I want my book to be memorable. And one of the ways to make a memorable book is to create a memorable character. And these types of people are memorable. We don't forget them. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Deadpool will be an iconic character in the canon of Marvel um, because he's irreverent, because he bucked the system. I mean, and that was like an incredibly popular film, despite all of the, the big wigs, you know, behind the scenes, not wanting to make that film for years and years and years. Like, Ryan Reynolds had that script forever and it wasn't getting made um, and it had to fit the right time, I guess. But now we love anti-heroes now. Like it's kind of like, and I don't know if that's a reflection on our culture where we are. I think it's been a while though because we, I mean like one of my favorite is Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights. Okay. He's very much an anti-hero. Um, he's, you know, it's sort of this romance between him and Catherine and he's, he is a sympathetic character because he's like an outcast. I think I haven't read it in a few years, but he's I think he's like a gypsy, part gypsy or something. So he's kind of outcast from society. And then uh, they kind of fall in love, but she's going off, you know, to be her high society self. But they were raised together. And then it just mm-hmm. starts this like intense, passionate feud that is just like super something that most women I know have to talk to their therapist about. You know? <laughs> like <laughs> This is not healthy. This is not a good model yeah. of a relationship but it's just so appealing and steamy and of course you know he is an anti-hero who goes too far and ends up in tragedy okay um but his antagonist is his ro- like romantic interest hmm. and it, you know once he can't have her he goes to the ends of the earth to to make her regret it okay and interesting so it's kind of romantic in that way yeah <laughs> Because he clearly has that, you know, that sort of, his redemptive quality is his love for her, but it sort of festers, right? It becomes his flaw. Um, And that is, that is a very, that, yeah, that novel is one that a lot of women are like, I love this, but this really made me pick a few wrong ones. Yeah. (laughs) My wife and I just watched um, Little Women last night, the most recent one. And again, there's a there's a relationship. You know, the care the the primary um, 
male character. It's it's um, what is his name? Not has uh, Lori? Lori. Yeah. So Lori's character is likable, um, but also wrong for mm-hmm. all of them. Kind of. In, a, in a different ways. Like he interacts with, with all of the daughters in different ways, but it's kind of wrong for all of them. Um, and it's, it's kind of a fascinating way of, of having a romantic film um, based on choices that, I don't know, as I was watching it, it, it I've, I've read it years ago and I, I've seen the original film a long, long time ago, but I hadn't seen the, one, the, the, way, the more recent one with Winona Ryder. I just skipped straight to this one with uh, Saoirse Ronan. And I thought it was an excellent film. Um, but again, it was that sort of... You have a sort of bad boy character who's getting all the, all the girls. Um, which is kind of... A, it's a stereotype. It's, a, it's kind of a trope, obviously, in romance. What's the right, end, what's the right way to end for an antagonist? Because I, I think you don't want to turn the antagonist into something that they're not at the end of the film. Or out of the book, in this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a redemptive storyline for the right. antagonist. You can have it where only through what the protagonist learns are they able to sort of extend that lifeline to the antagonist and say, like, all right, here, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're talking romance, then you're having that protagonist, antagonist between the, you know, traditionally the man and the woman. Right. Um, or the alpha and beta hero, or what, whatnot. And then it kind of needs to be that only once your protagonist gets the knowledge they need, the self-awareness they need, are they the right fit for this antagonist. And, you know, you can kind of develop the antagonist too, but it's really going to be about that choice that the main romantic partner makes. Hmm. Um, so, I mean... And and romance authors hate it when I tell them, no, 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 one of them is the main character. They're not both the yeah. main characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone's like, no. Um, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you can't have two people make the same choice, like the major choice at the same time. And that's what your climax is. It's one of them mm-hmm. making a decision. It's mm-hmm. your protagonist making a decision that will determine the outcome of the story. Yeah. And it's really hard to have two people do that at once. True. Yeah. You oftentimes see it staggered in mm-hmm. romantic films where like one makes the right decision but the other one isn't quite there on board yet and then it always leads to the grand gesture at the end where someone's chasing someone down at the airport or the train station or mm-hmm. whatever it is where someone finally has the epiphany like, right oh they were right the whole time they were the right one for me this whole time and um which is its own kind of cliche but can be done a million times well too oh. um if it's done for the right reasons of course. <laughs> yeah Although it's a little bit more difficult now if you're going to be writing about social distance romance. You can't get <laughs> it in the airport, really, and <laughs> um, online stuff. I, I saw someone recently posted up in, in one of my groups. Um, it was a picture of um, John Cusack from Say Anything holding up his boombox. And he's like, you know, Gen X kids socially distancing, you know, uh, from you know, social, you know, expressing love from a distance since 1980s. Yeah, I mean, and I thought that was really clever. That's, yeah. that's what you got to do. You got to stand outside the window of the boot box and play the song. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, <laughs> like, it's about to come out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I can't wait for the, the wave of quarantine yeah, fiction, the fiction to come. 
Yeah, it's got to happen. And I think it is, we, we are changing things. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. We are sort of insulated. Um, you know, our particular industry, writers are doing okay during mm-hmm. this in terms of compared to a lot of other occupations where we're still able to write and sell books. It's not fundamentally derailing us. Um, but it is changing culture. And mm-hmm. um, I, just, I, th- I just think it's interesting. Yeah. How are you? How are you doing? Do you think that um, you are particularly handling it okay? This whole situation. Oh yeah, nothing has changed for me. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I go to work at coffee shops less now because I yeah. go never. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's I've been I've been adapting a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it hasn't changed for me. My husband's law enforcement, so he still has to go to work. So right. he's yeah. still leaving, you know, and. I still get my time alone. It's not like we're in that pressure cooker right now. Yeah. Um, so we will be happily married when we come out of prison. <laughs> That's always good news. Yeah. I think this is going to test a lot of marriages, people being home all the time now and kids being uh-huh. home all, in the mix of the whole time too. Um, there's a lot of learning going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but People could come out of this closer than ever. That's yeah. what I like to think about. Yeah. That's, that's the optimistic silver lining, I guess, way to look at it. Yeah. Stronger. <laughs> and family lawyers could come out of this richer than ever that's very possible yeah it's like but you can't even go visit your lawyer if you get so pissed off you want a divorce during this like you can't even go visit him you know, or you you call know. paperwork yeah <laughs> just mail it over here i'll disinfect it when it gets here it really is crazy it's gonna change it's gonna change so much writing i mean even just i've noticed that reading books and watching movies i mm. get a little bit antsy when people are so close together yeah yeah, commercials like you see, like I'm, I've, I'm amazed at how quickly people have adapted their commercials on like standard television for mm-hmm. being oh we're COVID nineteen, where you know and they're on board with it like so quickly. And then you see the one who's not, where it's just like oh people having like a kids party with like all the like you're like oh my gosh, it's stressing you out because of this commercial is so out of touch with the turned us all scenario. into extreme germaphobes. Yeah, um, but hey, maybe we'll all be healthier. As a result, yeah. maybe we'll all stay yeah, six feet I, away. Exactly. I mean, I'm like, man, we have been doing some really risky behaviors. Yeah, we have. Like touching hands. Getting away, getting away with it, you know, for all I, this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually recently had a dream with it. So it's entered my dreaming. It, has it, it entered your dreams yet? It has. Yeah, I'm there. I'm right there with you. I was uh, complaining the other day in one of my dreams about this. It's like, no, this is, this. I can't do that. Like, I'm going to be in so much trouble when I get home because I'm in close proximity to people. Um, we've worked so hard for this. We've worked so hard to stay, stay apart for this long. Um, but I am amazed. Yeah. I think I've, you know, I've seen some positive news today. Some things being like, Hey, it's working. You know, people are, it's, it's happening. It's, we're diminishing the rates of infection. So, um, so we got to keep on keeping on. I think it's amazing. I think it's incredible that so many people have gotten on board. And I think it has increased my faith in humanity slightly. That most people, there's there's some idiots. Like, let's not be. Let's, let's yeah, not. as long as you don't actually like go out into public, go to the grocery store, and see how many people are without gloves and masks, you'll be fine. Okay. Just sit yeah. at home and imagine all of the people out there being super safe. We have not been to the grocery store once. In oh, three good. weeks. Yeah. It's, we're ordering it straight to the door and disinfecting when it gets here. We have one of those little doors with like a porthole window. It's like a little Wizard of Oz window. You can like open it up and be like, <laughs> nobody sees the wizard. No, no way, no, no, how. And then like you close it. And then like you say, leave it there. And then like they walk away. 
and then you come out, <laughs> you know, a little while later and disinfect everything. That's great. Yeah. So. That's yeah, good. yeah, we're, we're totally down, clueless. Do we're totally clueless to how the rest of the world is behaving. So I, I think everyone's doing a great job. Sounds blissful. <laughs> it's not bad. But it, I know will, it will be nice to see how people subconsciously incorporate it into their writing. If their yeah. choreography has people in separate places or there's mm -hmm. not as much physical contact or there's yeah. more online communication, it'll be interesting to see how people adjust in their writing. Yeah, people writing contemporary fiction will have to basically place this either pre, you know, uh, pandemic, post pandemic. And I feel like there's going to be like this dividing line, mm -hmm. um, kind of like there was with 9-11. Like things mm -hmm. fundamentally changed at 9-11, where like your, all your airport scenes are now different. Um, like your <laughs> right. understanding of New York, like everything is different now after that line. And I think, mm -hmm. I think this is another one of those lines. And I think it's fascinating that we're living through it. Of course, I mean, it's terrible, but it's also pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, from a historical perspective, but um, we have been chatting for an hour, and I know that you haven't had dinner yet, and <laughs> I am keeping you from it. So I apologize. We're gonna we'll wrap things I'm up. Drinking my dinner, it's fine. <laughs> Solid, yeah, that works out. And uh, but thank you so much, Claire, for coming on and, and chatting with me. This has been so much fun, as always. This has been fun. I appreciate you having me on yet again. Yeah, absolutely. You're in like the the top tier of repeat guests. I think um, three like three. Yeah, one out of every thirty-three shows that come on. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty good standard. Let's let's keep it up. I'd be all for it. Um, I'm up. But where can people, if people are interested in talking to you about getting the story alignment, where should they go? Uh, you can go to ffs.media, and that has all of my author services. I have my course, my uh, alignment. I have a link to my blog. I do. I have a medium blog that has a bunch of free, you know, authory stuff to read. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. Or you can find me on Facebook and just send me a message. I've been following you on your Facebook stories and Instagram stories about like being attacked by bees and such. So <laughs> I th those are also highly entertaining. Okay. So if, if you need some entertainment, <laughs> follow me on Instagram. It's at Claire or whatevs. At Claire or whatevs. Yes, that's right. And it's, it's very entertaining. She, you, you're very consistent about your updates, which is great. And, um, I go on my hot zone walks every day. Yeah. Got, just talk to nobody. Out. I have that talent. <laughs> You're skilled at it. And um, <laughs> also, you know, if you find you can find you on YouTube too with the waffling episodes, where they're also entertaining. I, so. I, yes. You can find all of my like ridiculousness at hclairetaylor.com. All right. That's more of my like fun, not professional story consultant stuff. We want the full package. We want the whole Claire. Yeah. yeah so. It's all here. Yeah. Open book. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and, and chatting with us. This has been a lot of fun. Um, thank you everyone for watching and for listening and putting up with our, our uh, drinking on the internet. And we will uh, hopefully see you all again next week. So, so long.